After no real racing in Belgium, it's not a long wait until we see some on-track action as Formula One returns to Zandvoort for the first time since 1985. Welcome to episode 129 of the Grid Talk podcast. My name is Louis Edwards and I'll be your host for the 2021 Dutch Grand Prix preview. Joining me today are F1 podcaster Philip Matthew. Hello. And sports journalist Mikhail Katia. Hi. Before we start the show, we have got a couple of shout-outs. So big shout-out to Jackie and Cora Define for giving us a five-star review on iTunes. If you give us a five-star review on iTunes, we will give you a shout-out at the start of the show. So while this may be a, a preview to the Dutch Grand Prix, we kind of have to address the kind of elephant in the route and the kind of the elephant in the F1 world right now. And I would love just to hear both of your opinions just on the Belgian Grand Prix or lack thereof of a Belgian Grand Prix that we had last weekend. Mikael, I'd like to start with you. Just just sum up sort of how you felt about the way it was handled, the way, you know, the fact that we just went out for two laps just to require, you know, to meet this minimum requirement. Yeah, it was funny actually because I wasn't able to be like attentive to the race or the lack thereof the period when the race was supposed to be for too long so I was just following like updates on it on Twitter and everything and I mean yeah it seemed like a mess mostly I was talking to my family afterwards and they were like yeah we sat in front of the TV for four hours to watch three hours of cars driving behind a safety car three minutes of cars driving behind a safety car so of course it's a massive disappointment and it feels awful for the fans who's you know sat there in the rain for that long but I mean also you know you can't really do much with the weather it would have been deadly dangerous for them to drive in the weather i guess so in the end you know at least right call not to have an entire race in those circumstances i guess but yeah something needs to change if we're because we can't start giving up like points for for three minutes of action this is a one-off but i i hope and i'm you know hopeful that they'll you know change some rules at least so it allows for something at least something better for the fans than just this. Fernando Alonso, Philip said, he was the first of the suckers in that race. You know, he was, you know, he started the race P11. He was denied any chance of scoring points whatsoever. And, you know, it's for people like Fernando Alonso and everyone, you know, further down the grid, think of someone like Lando Norris starting P14. He would have probably had very good pace. They were all denied any chance of scoring points, any chance of competing. Is that racing? Is two laps behind the safety car, is that racing? Louis, there's no way we could call what went on yesterday racing unless you consider making Formula One cars into unlimited hydroplanes racing. That was a cool thing that existed and still exists in the back, whatever, here in the States. But back in the early 90s, that used to be a very cool thing. These cool boats that went really fast but they're boats. You can't make Formula One cars into boats and have them drive around behind burnt. I mean, the reality is this. The winners of these this race were was Alan Vandermerva and Burnt Maylander. They were the two winners of first and second. Choose whoever you want. Third place was Max Verstappen because he was the first guy there. I'm fine. That may offend certain people, but the fact of the matter is it had nothing. His day, he won on Saturday. We You mentioned Lando. Lando was the best was fastest in Q1 and Q2. I mean, albeit he kind of was in a tire disadvantage going into th- Q3. He was the one that decided I'm going to be the guy. 
And he was the one that sacrificed himself basically and sacrificed his whole entire weekend to destroy his race car in Rouge and Radion the way they've been de- they've been destroying race cars in Rouge and Radion for decades. But it's become more of a, a, a point of contention recently. Uh, destroyed his whole entire weekend. He had no chance to score points. Alonzo and the, the Alpine cars were not as fast. And in turn, they had no chance. And when you consider Fernando Alonso seemingly gains positions on the start, um, I would be aggrieved too. Um, not just the fact that I had to go out there and do that, albeit they're very well paid to do so. But when you have no chance, it doesn't justify a, a lot of what they went through, the nonsense of going and doing the initial siding lap, Sergio Perez offing his car, somehow or another Red Bull weaseling their way into something within the tech. I mean, the regulations, they have 8 trillion pages of regulations that has to be looked at after how they handled this, how the Super Sergio Perez situation was handled, how how Lance Stroll put parts on his car that were different specification during the red flag. There were so many issues that existed with whatever they wanted to call the Belgian Grand Prix. The the most the previous uh, shortest race I think was the 91 Australian Grand Prix, which I think went f- 14 laps or seven laps, something very very short distance but that was because of the same thing no water drain it or they couldn't drain water it was on a street course everybody was basically holding on for dear life senna was in front and he was waving his arms and they called it and it was the last race of the year this is not that that was just basically a parade because this everything had been decided if you're going to tell me that this that whatever they called this race decides a world championship it's going to be a problem, especially on the Mercedes side of things. But I'll digress on that, and we'll kind of go on and move on to more positive things. Yeah, it 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 is strange because you know the amount of loopholes and regulations that were exploited during that that sort of period, and the amount of regulations that we realize the FIA don't have in place to sort of tackle something like this. Yeah, it's something that does need to be you know seriously looked at, and also. I just had points were given out. Like Michael, like Max Verstappen was given twelve and a half, uh, twelve and a half points. I think it is. It brings down his championship. Well, brings you know him closer to Lewis Hamilton. Like while he did put in the effort on Saturday, is there a case to say that he did? Well, none of the drivers who scored points actually deserved the point that he got. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's so odd that. Well, for me, the fact that Verstappen catch, uh, is catching to Hamilton, I'm happy about it pretty much because I just want it to be as tight as possible for as long as possible, obviously. But I can imagine teams like Alfa Romeo, for example, are going to be very disappointed by the fact that Williams has basically now run away with uh, what third last position on the on the team standings now because there's no way unless we get something like this again with uh, with another race and maybe Alphas are at the top, then maybe, yeah. But other than that, like, yeah, I don't. It's difficult to say what about the points because yeah, they did put in the effort on Saturday. And should we then just waste it all and just call? Because this is the problem with the triple headers is that you can't move the races really. I mean, technically, I guess it could have been an option to move it from Monday. There would have been time to get maybe get stuff to the Netherlands from Belgium. That's not too difficult, at least geographically. But yeah, it's something that they'll have to think about, and this is one of the big risks that probably when considering future triple headers in countries where we may have this kind of stuff that you have to completely push a race from 
one day to another if there is bad weather. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, as you know, Phil said very well, if the if the championship is going to be decided to Verstappen by less than four points or less than five points, then this is definitely going to create some speculation. Yeah, and uh, sort of the final point, I'll bring, you know, Philip, you sort of back to something you mentioned earlier about the regulations. The fact that there is a two-lap minimum for points to be awarded in a race doesn't seem right because we they went out, did the two laps, but it didn't. it wasn't a race. You can't have a race in two laps and then hand out points. Do you think that that minimum needs to be raised? Uh, do you know what what needs to be done about that? Yeah, I mean the when it comes to with with like I'll, I'll just utilize the uh, American examples, albeit the Formula One. What it is is owned by an American company. NASCAR races the have to the main three series have to run half distance or one lap over half distance to be called an official race. IndyCar. I think is similar to that. I haven't, they haven't really had that issue on an oval in a long time. And even then, even on road courses, it's generally been conditions where they've been able to drive through. They need to basically at, at a minimum, there should be 25% race completed. And if they're not able to complete 25%, you have to come back the next day. Like Mikhail was talking about, I, if it was raining 80% again today, the way things are right now in the current situation with, COVID and everything. What are you telling me that in a month's time, there isn't a gap, there isn't some weekend that they can't go back there. It'll be cold. It might be snowing. It'll be the luck of Formula One, the way things are, it'll be snowing. All right, fine. I mean, maybe you're just not going to run this race this year, but you you have to at least give it a shot. There have been cancellations of the Indianapolis 500 for a week because they try to run it on the Sunday and then into a Monday, both days it rained. They ran it the following week. They've done, this happened in NASCAR when there's been snow events. There has to be a, a contingency plan. I don't understand how you not don't know how many laps you've completed in a race and, and you don't have a contingency and you can literally run two laps and say it's a race. If I'm one of the 75,000 people that went there yesterday and sat through that for four, five, six, eight hours, I would be livid. I would just be livid. It, it's just unbelievable. How, how, I mean, I know they come up with liabilities and all that. And I think Formula One has tried to cover themselves ever since the Indianapolis six debacle in 2005, but that was not good. Nothing about yesterday was good. You need to make a minimum. There has to be a half distance requirement to give to at least, I think there has to be at least a half distance requirement to give half points. And then 75% and above for full points. I think that's fair. You can't tell me that two laps is a race or 14 laps is a race. It isn't. Unless you're running a Formula 3 race, which that's how long they're going, then sure. But that's not a race. You can't dictate millions and millions of dollars of real money on that, which it could. I mean, to be fair, McHale made the point. I mean, the point is Alpha Romeo ain't going to do anything the rest of, most of the rest of this year anyway because Kimi Raikkonen's given up. You're, you're going to go and have Williams. They've already – now they've gotten a podium, two back-to-back double point scores. It's over. They're literally going to just coast the rest of the year. George Russell's just trying to wait on when Toto calls for the contract to put him in the other Merc. Other than that, you know, Latifi's waiting on his new teammate. They're done. 
that's over. Their whole season now is back. They're back on 2022. You can't be telling me you're dictating real, real decisions, real money on what happened yesterday. Uh, but changes like dictating how long you have to go have to be made and they have to be made immediately so that what happened yesterday does not happen again. Yeah, the thing you probably spoke for what a lot of people are, are thinking. But we do have a race this weekend that we, well, we need to preview. So at Zandvoort, it's a track which Formula One was, of course, meant to go to last year, but due to all the COVID stuff, it never happened. But, Mikel, it's back on the calendar this year. With Max having such a following, you know, around the world, we go to so many races and you just see this massive orange army. You know, this is going to be, this is a big weekend for him. His first home Grand Prix. He's got to go out there and he's got to perform and he's got to win, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I think that's what he's also banking on, that, that he's going to take a, a home victory now that he gets the chance to do it. I mean, yeah, you already briefly mentioned it, but as you know, we've seen in many of the races, especially in Europe, like the the Orange Army is is quite <laughs> quite an insane fan base, if I would say so myself. I mean, we've all seen pictures on social media of the city of Zandvoort changing the thirty uh, kph traffic signs into thirty three for Max Verstappen and everything. So the entire, I feel like half at least half of the country here is uh, is um, getting ready for the for the weekend. So yeah, it should be very exciting. I'm Unfortunately, not able to attend the race. I was part in a lottery for the tickets, but didn't win this time, maybe next year. But um, yeah, I'm very, very looking, much looking forward to it. And yeah, I mean, the track looks good for Red Bull. I'm not going to lie. A lot of twisty turns, not a lot of straight line speed necessarily. So I think, yeah, I think Max is definitely going to be entering at least as the favorite. Of course, we'll see what happens on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, and he definitely is the favourite. And like Mikel said, Philip, you know, bang on it with it's tight, it's a twisty track, tracks that seem to favour the Red Bull car. It's, it does look like it is going to be a Red Bull victory. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the reason why they went to Zanfort. I think as much as anything, it was more of a circuit that, you know, it's more of got history with the cars versus, uh, you know, uh, Assen which was wider, is longer, and might have actually put on a better show, honestly, because it does an amazing job putting a show for motorcycles, and it has for decades. But I think for Red Bull, it, it worked out. They've, the changes they've made have made it more of a, a – it, it was already a very tight, narrow circuit anyway, but I think all the different adjustments to get it towards this whatever grade one – specification make it a vac max or stop in special i'm calling it the max or stop in grand prix because that's what it is they're there for that reason they want him to win he's probably going to dominate like he dominated every session he even wrecked one practice and he still won pole and won the he won the race so the point is he'll get to do that at home and uh take over the points lead which you know for uh his base will be just due um, for what happened at what he, they believe happened at Silverstone and all. So at that point, you have a reset, go to the Italian Grand Prix, uh, nine races to go, and you're basically back in a sense. Not It isn't the same way. It isn't 33-point lead like he had after the sprint race, but he's got the lead back. I mean, it's up to Checo to go and consolidate and try to help them get back 
into the constructor standings because they're still behind Mercedes in that at the moment. A couple of non-point scores for Sergio Perez here recently, even with the extension he received into next year, he has to turn things around on his side of the garage to to help Red Bull in their fight to possibly get both sides of the championship here this year. Because it's going to be a difficult weekend for Mercedes. They're definitely going to be on the back foot for a lot of it. But I think a lot of us were, you know, going into, you know, the likes of Hungary thinking, you know, Red Bull are going to be the quicker car. Mercedes were able to put up a fight. How much of a fight do you reckon Mercedes are going to be able to, to give uh, Red Bull this weekend? I think they're going to put maybe even a bit more effort than they planned before Belgium because of what happened and because of the fact that they basically they got well the lead their lead got closed down on by Red Bull in both the drivers and constructors side i mean as uh, philip was already kind of hinting at like a lot is going to be decided on saturday just because of the fact that the track is so narrow um i'm i don't have a doubt that there's going to be some a couple of very fantastic looking overtakes on Sunday but in general I believe that mostly the order that there is on on Saturday is probably going to be pretty close to what's going to be on Sunday as well after the race so I think I think Mercedes will have a couple uh, tricks up their sleeve for the qualifying if it's whether it's enough to beat Max I don't know but I wouldn't be surprised if they're able to put at least one, but maybe both of them, both of Mercedes in front of Perez. But we'll see. Maybe Perez will pick up his pace as well. Yeah, he, he might He might do. But, you know, we go to the other sort of Mercedes second drivers. <laughs> a lot of people tend to refer to him, Philip. You know, Bottas, this is, you know, George has just got a podium. He put his Williams in P2 in a very damp spa. Bottas, you know, after causing such a reckless incident in you know, in Hungary, not being able to really fight back in Spa. He's got a lot to prove this this weekend. And like Mikel said, if he can be a part of a plan which separates the two Red Bulls, you know, that it could put him in a bit more favour with um, Toto, which he certainly needs at the moment. Yeah, he needs all the help he could get, whether he's going to drive a Mercedes or an Alpha or Williams or whatever if he's going to the DTM or whatever he's going to be doing, because whatever version of Valtteri Botas we have right now is not very good. Um, he needs to go and get updates or whatever, needs to have the Windows updates done to him or something, because it's whatever it is isn't working too well. He, if he doesn't show up here these next two weeks, because you know Lewis is going to do whatever he can. That's just period. There's a reason why he's done what he's done, whether people want to like it or not, that's their choice. Pure ignorance is the reason why you wouldn't give it uh, at least some level of respect. But in the sense of Valtteri, I think this is a sign where he could go. People are going to, now they're like, all right, it's over. You know, George just got the podium. He qualified second in a Williams. You know, the they're, it's over. So he's going to go, and I think it might fire him up. You have some of these races coming up the Russia race, you have some of these other racetracks that are good Valtteri Bottas racetracks. And now that he knows he's kind of got free reign because he's real. I mean, yes, the third in points is still in play. His main job now is to be a blocker and a defender in a sense to try to make sure that Lewis can get as many points as he can, number one. But number two, he's driving for his career. 
and uh, maybe we see him, uh, you know, kind of reset and and start back again here this weekend at a track that I think might be a good one for him. Austria has always been a track where he's kind of shown out well. That's a tighter circuit, you know. So I mean, in, in Russia is one of the tighter, more Mickey Mouse tracks. This track is very tight. I think it'll be a circuit that will suit him better. And if he can go and have a good Friday and Saturday, there might be a discussion for Mercedes to at least consolidate points on that weekend before they have they go to uh, Monza, where it might be a little bit more of a theoretical fair uh, battle between them and Red Bull. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be an important weekend for Valtteri Bottas. I think this race could define the rest of his season with how you know he gets on. And um, what happens next, of course, Mikhail, we'll now move on to McLaren. Done fairly well, you know, on these sort of tighter tracks, you know, London Norris getting third place in Monaco. He did get an amazing start in Hungary, but we didn't quite get to see how he um, he would have raced there. But, you know, with Ricardo having a, a better weekend in Belgium, London Norris, you know, still putting in blinding performances. You know, you've got to, you've got to favour, you know, McLaren to just keep edging out this sort of the lead that they have on Ferrari. Yeah, I definitely, I would imagine that McLaren is going to increase their lead um, this weekend on Ferrari. Yeah. I'm not too, too certain about how well they're going to do. I'm, I'm hesitant to like raise them up to the, the same level as Red Bull and Mercedes as in terms of contenders for the pole. Though, I mean, Norris Norris could do it. I, I would love to see him maybe get a pole, at least fight for the podium on Sunday. But yeah, it's difficult to say. I, I definitely think they are in like that, you know, middle part between the top two and then the, how should we call it, upper mid-tier, especially when it comes to Zandvoort. So I'm hopeful for their performance and of course, very happy seeing Ricardo doing better in Belgium. So if he's able to now kind of have make that his you know stable performance for the rest of the season for the entire second half of the season i think it's gonna look very good for them after this weekend Mm. uh you know that gap philip you know between mclaren and ferrari is three and a half points they weren't tied i think they were tied after um after hungary but you know that that battle between those two teams is so close you know every race matters and for ferrari this, you know, they need to be getting ahead. They need to make sure that they're consistently, um, you know, beating both McLarens. But with Lando Norris in such, you know, good form and Ricardo coming back, it could be quite difficult for them. Yeah, I think the Ferrari, for what they've had at times this year, where they've been absolutely out to lunch like they were in France, and then they've had other races where you've had both one of them get on the podium, whether it was, you know, uh, what do you call Carlos at Monaco? You had one other one recently. You have you have uh, Charles Leclerc at the British Grand Prix lead most of the race. The th- difference, though, is Lando, outside of getting you know made into a seven ten split at the Hungarian Grand Prix, he had scored every race this year. He had been in a top six basically every race this year. He is on another level. The, the McLaren-Mercedes combination, this whole combination, this car, everything is working for him. Last week, well, last week, like, yes, two days ago, 
he was one probably one lap away from possibly winning McLaren their first race in since Lewis Hamilton and Jensen Button were there because they called that a race yesterday because he would have qualified on pole. Instead, you know, another rough weekend. But I think he's going to respond, and Mikhail said it. They're going to respond. He's going to respond. I think Danny Ricardo needed the summer break. He needed a reset. He's going to come back. He's still behind. The qualifying was proof of that. But he responded late. And he was able to make laps that put him in the conversation. Not to, he wasn't going to win if they had run a regular race, I don't think. He was going to be in the top five, though, top six, worst case. I think for Ferrari, though, outside of them putting a big lap together, one or both of them, it's going to be very difficult for them to um, cut down on the deficit. Going to the Italian Grand Prix, though, we'll see. But I think it'll be a difficult weekend for Ferrari, depending on how things go. It could be, it, you, you never know. It, it's like a dice roll with them from week to week, who, which team you're going to get and with what the drivers are going to be able to do. But one thing I will say about Ferrari, though, that combination might be the best combination Ferrari has had in a long, long time because they suit each other very well and they kind of play each, off of each other well. And I think they bring the things necessary to make Ferrari a better team as they get into the new regulations in 2022 and beyond. Yeah, it's, it's certainly, it's going to be a, a tough upwards climb from Ferrari, but you know, Sainz and Leclerc have surprises this year, just how well they've done together. So, you know, they, they do definitely have the tools if they, if McLaren do falter at any point, but um, we'll move further down uh, the constructors, uh, championship now to Alpine, Mikel. You know, for you know Ocon, he got his win. We kind of just need to sort of forget about last race and sort of everything that kind of happened. It feels like this has been a four week break now, but Ocon, he's still going to be feeling good after that win. And Alonso, the master on the start and on a track which is difficult to overtake, he gets a good start. He has the potential to then hold everyone up, you know, and you know, get himself some good points because Alpine just need to make sure that they're staying ahead of those AlphaTauris. Yeah, I mean, pretty much that's it. That's that's why I would hope that, that Fernando is able to get into Q3 on uh, on Saturday because, well, he's had fantastic starts. So if he's able to pick up a few more positions from like, let's say, starting 7th, 8th, gets up to 5th maybe, then if there's some pit stop strategy, like he could be very much up there again, just like he was in, in, in Hungary as well, fighting for near, near podium. And yeah, I mean, Esteban, I mean, he's obviously even not considering Hungary, like he's had a good form this mid part of the season, but especially, I mean, Hungary was a, a, a jewel to his crown, I guess. Yeah, I'm not too certain though how much um, faster they might uh, the Alpine car might be to the Alpha Tauri. So I feel like, well, at least Pierre Gasly should be quite close to them, if not like even just you know inching out a little bit ahead of Alpines, because I feel like both cars would fit this track relatively well. I don't think there is a a massive deficit for either team from the the layout of of Zandvoort. Of course, if one of them ends up stuck in Q1, Q2, then just overtaking is going to be difficult. But I'm yeah excited to see what happens. But yeah, definitely keeping an eye on Fernando. You, you brought up an excellent point. You know, getting stuck in, in 
Q1 has been an issue for Alfatari, Philip. You know, Yuki Snowder just not always there, not always getting the most out of his car. And off more often than not, Alfatari had to rely on Pierre Gasly to, you know, get them the points, get in those high positions. It's and at a track like this, it's more important than ever that Sonoda actually maybe finds his groove, gets out of Q1 and actually puts his car in contention for points. Yeah, for Yuki to perform there, he it, it would be a good opportunity for him to show up uh, because he's been wildly inconsistent this year as a rookie while Gasly, for all intents and purposes, has done a very good job this year, even though he theoretically got passed over again um, to get promoted. In, in the end, for AlphaTauri, though, it is they—they they have their there's races where they do qualify. At least with Gasly, he's usually up there, makes Q2 no problem. Generally, he's in Q3. Sonoda, you just don't know what you're going to get. Uh, he's the current day Takuma Sato for a reason. This track could suit him very, very well, and he could go off and he could make a Q3 appearance. I think it has some similar kind of kind of feelings to Imola, so and he's had plenty of time at Imola testing. Maybe he takes some of that experience and he's able to put that together, but they do need him to perform in the sense of you know, not only the drivers, but in the constructors, because with Alpine, you have Ocon, who's very, very motivated and and happy after his first Grand Prix win. You have Alonso fully invested, looking forward towards next year and doing very well. Uh, They need both drivers performing. And I mean, in the case of Gasly, that's been the case most of the year. If Sonoda can put one together, though, this might be the type of track that he would be able to put one together and possibly help in regards to trying to close that gap to Alpine. But it will be, as we've said, and you've said, Louis, and Mikhail as well, I think a lot of this will be dictated on Saturday to see what comes from Sunday itself. Yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's something that is the overarching sort of theme of of this weekend. It is similar to the Monaco. So when you go race at Barcelona, it it is a track which is which is difficult to overtake. Um, there's only one passing like passing zone, and yeah, get as high as possible on on Saturday is going to give you the best chance on the Sunday. Mikhail, for for Aston Martin, qualifying does tend to be quite difficult for them. And given that Vettel may have got five points from the last race, was disqualified from Hungary, you know, points are more desperate than ever for, for Aston Martin. But with, with their qualifying not always being the best, it could be another either very low scoring or non-scoring weekend for them. Yeah, I, I feel like Aston Martin has a very bad... It's like a hate or miss for them when it comes to Saturdays, the performance. Generally, yeah, they, they'll have done well if there is one car in Q3 and that just isn't enough even to fight Alfa Tauri or, or Alpine. That's why they are uh, about 20 points behind both of those teams. Um, I'm really looking at, at Lance Stroll for, to you know, kind of pick up his pace right now. 
Um, I just looked it up and I was actually surprised that he's almost uh, half of the points behind from behind of Vettel. And that is including Vettel's disqualification in, in Hungary. So that statistic would look so much uglier for Stroll if, if that hadn't happened for Sebastian. So I really hope Lance is able to kind of, you know, get his act together and maybe, maybe push that Aston Martin to Q3 and then just hold it there. I feel like this track might not be particularly good on Aston Martin, obviously. And that's why if they, you know, if they have one stuck in Q1 and one is in Q2, or if they both get into Q2, but then drop or get eliminated there, it's it's difficult to imagine them getting any points unless something happens in front of them. So, yeah, it's it might be a difficult race, but, you know, at least I hope that, you know, they they'll get some points because I just have some sympathy for for the team. Yeah, it is. It's far from the the, the dream that I think they um they imagined when uh coming into the season. But um, now got we move on to Williams for the you know before Alpha Alpha Romeo for the first time in quite a long time on the show. But you know George Russell, Mr. Sasse, put his name. Well, made his name actually count for something in Belgium, but unfortunately, I think reality is it could be um, a lot harsher to them. You know, they've had they've had two great results, but it's unlikely that George is probably going to get into Q three here, which means it's very it's going to be unlikely that he's going to score points. And we know that Latifi, sort of in a regular qualifying, rarely gets out of of Q one. So, I think it could be a. Do you reckon it's just going to be a bit more of a back down to earth weekend for a. Williams? Yeah, I I think that, you know, after two great weeks and kind of hearkening back to the great days of Williams lore in the 90s and maybe early 2000s, and even for a few years in this the past decade, but more of the 90s and 80s and all that, it'll be a reality check uh, because it's a windy, there's a lot of wind that always seems to be a big problem for the Williams car. It's a very tight narrow circuit, which is a hit or miss thing. George is going to do the best he can. Getting a Q2 appearance will be a positive. As you said, Louis, the Latifi, if it's a dry weekend, he, he him getting through and uh, getting through Q1 will be something. But yeah, I think these next couple of weeks will kind of bring him back down to earth. But I also think now that they have such a huge gap as I mentioned earlier, now that they have such a huge gap on Alfa Romeo, it's more about consolidating, kind of watching where they are and getting ready for next year so that whoever's driving those two cars next year will have a better chance than what George Russell basically has had to drive for the last three years at, at Williams. With sort of Alfa Romeo, Mikel, you know, they are now so many points behind. They're probably not going to be able to catch them, but surely something, you know, now being, is it, 17 points behind or something like that that's got to spur them to try and do something you know it is clear that maybe both the drivers aren't you know pushing as much as they can but something does need to happen for them just to see if they have a chance 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't know. Unfortunately, I, I feel like they're going to stop looking forwards and start looking backwards and thinking, well, we need to score some points or if we get one more Joker race like this, Haas is going to leapfrog us as well. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like the only interesting thing that comes from Alfa Romeo is regarding their driver news for the rest of the season. We know that they aren't necessarily now dictated, or I was reading that they aren't necessarily dictated anymore by Ferrari on picking either one of their drivers. So it might be interesting to see what happens with uh, with Giovinazzi. I mean, Kimi, of course, makes makes his own decision on whether or not to retire or keep his hobby up for one, one more year, um, which, of course, plays massively into the, the implications of what probably will be George Russell getting up to Mercedes and then Valtteri Bottas being out for out of a job so i think that's the only real interest there's gonna be i mean yeah maybe we'll see alpha fighting for the points but they've had so many times that they're just stuck on p11 p12 on a sunday i just feel like this weekend that's the best they can do and yeah for the rest of the season they just better hope that schumacher or or mazepin don't get a a lucky strike like Williams did these last week, two weekends, and so that they don't end up last in the structure championship. Mm, yeah, it'd be have to be some weekend if uh, if Mazepin managed to get the points to to leave well, out. Already fastest got lap, the fastest so. lap last yesterday. Exactly. So he is the fastest, We never know. He's the fastest driver behind a safety car. It's, exactly. it's confirmed. But Egghead does have pace. <laughs> yeah, but we will move on to Philip for the final for the final team. Haas, can they get off the back row of the grid? No, I would rather see the video of Mick driving his dad's car again, like they showed, which made me emotion. It was because of the way that Mick was, just how the joy he had, and how excited he was. Like literally, give him any of his dad's cars when he was driving up until like 2000 through 2006 any of those cars are better than the car he has to drive today and i think he'd probably be on the pace and no i mean whatever it maybe latifi helps or they get grid penalties or something but in general in regards to pace there's no way they should not they are going to get off the last row of the grid and it's not for a lack of trying on the side of mick He's been trying very hard, making a lot of mistakes in the process. Egghead, you know, drive slow. And, you know, when you drive slow, you kind of get around stuff once in a while. And sometimes you're just in the way. And um, this is going to be an interesting weekend for them, especially with their pace disadvantage in a sense. They could play a role in the race itself in a negative, um, and especially Egghead. So we'll see what he does. And, um, if he gets in the way of Max or stop and, and causes World War Three and him not be able to get out of uh, Zanfort, uh, that would be something. But um, I don't know. It's going to be a rough weekend. I think it, the rest of the season is just going to be a brutal, brutal stretch, as this whole entire year, to be fair, has been, or last couple of years has been for, for Haas. Um, but it, it's not going to be pretty this weekend at Zanfort for them yeah i think it's it's starting to come sort of rather predictable what to what to say for haas but um now that we've gone through all the teams time for podium predictions Mikel, we'll start with you who is going to be top three for the dutch one brew um well i already premised this up so i, I will have to put max 
Max uh, on the top spot. And then I would go, yeah. So Verstappen first, Lewis second, and then we'll put Lando Norris on third. I feel like he's going to, if he doesn't take it on Saturday, he can cer- certainly jump one, two positions during the race. So Verstappen, Hamilton, Norris. Philip? I'll go with Verstappen and Hamilton, one, two. And in regards to third, I will say Valtteri Bottas. We'll go Ver, Ham, Bot, which is a general easy podium, one that used to happen all the time. So I think that's what we will get this weekend. I've got to stick with the same top two. It's, it's going to be Verstappen. I think it's going to be Verstappen on the top set. Lewis in second, but I'm going to say Sergio Perez is going to is going to take that final spot. I think that Red Bull is going to be very competitive in both cars. So uh, yeah, so yeah, uh, Stephen Hamilton, Perez, and now bold predictions. And you can no longer say Williams podium because that's happened. Williams double points that's now happened. I think the only team George Russell scoring points. We can't do that anymore. That's done. It's all ruined. All our traditions are ruined on this on this podcast. But we'll start with you for a a bold prediction for this weekend. See, I can't even do the George Russell is going to score points anymore after I took it over from George, and he had said that for a year or two. Literally, I take it over. He gets his first points for Williams, and in theory, I would have said. Uh, and I wouldn't have said he was going to f- start finish second, but the fact of matters, he was going to score points again, uh, which I mean, that would have been a farce if it hadn't been the way it was, but bold prediction. Let's see. So all the Williams stuff we can't do. So now we have to go pull one out. I'm really going out on a limb here. Cause this is pushing something that I, this is going against a bunch of my beliefs here. And we just basically kind of went a- after uh, alpha or not. I mean, Aston Martin, uh, you know, Vettel's Vettel. He's been doing good at times, and in other times it's just been kind of weird. His teammate, who, if you've listened to the show over many times I've been on, I'm not a fan of, but I'm going to go and say he's going to finish in the top six. Mikel, what's your bold prediction for this weekend? I mean, I, I guess we'll have to call this call this a bold, bold prediction. I'm going to say uh, double points for Alpha Tauri. I think Tsunoda is going to get up there supporting Gasly. On, on this one I really hope so at least it would be great to see him doing better again see my see my, my bold prediction was always the opposite to George it was always Latifi uh, to score points <laughs> but I can't do that now but uh, I'm going to say my bold prediction we'll go for Mick to get into Q2 I can go for that Mick to get into Q2 on pure pace no retirements all, all 20 cars finished Q1. My, Definitely bold. My bold. Are you pick. sure he's not using the F2004 in that in that uh, simu- simulation there, Louis? Uh, no, he's um, he's driving that <laughs> absolute dog of a horse. <laughs> but um, yeah. So that that is all for us today. We will have the reviews of both qualifying and hopefully a race this weekend. So make sure to keep an eye out. For those, if you're listening to the show right now, we do live stream all of our shows on YouTube. So make sure to subscribe to the F1 Chronicle to make so you can see all the shows as we record them. And you can also ask us questions in the live chat. We're also available on Spotify, 
Apple Music, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Omni Studio, Verbal, as well as the F1 Chronicle website. Just search for the F1 Grid Talk podcast. We have a huge back catalogue of shows. So if you're stuck for something to listen to between now and the Dutch Grand Prix, we have over 100 shows for you to listen to, including interviews with Mario Zola from Pirelli, as well as more documentary-style shows about Tygate, the Ayrton Ayrton Senna, and the 1994 Benetton Conspiracy. So make sure to check them out. Also, as I said at the start of the show, if you do give us a five-star review on iTunes, then we'll give you a shout-out on our next show. All feedback on our podcast is much appreciated. So thank you, Philip and Mikel, for joining me today. Thanks, Louis. Of course. Have fun. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you later this week for the Dutch Grand Prix. Goodbye.